Welcome to this new podcast entitled 20th Century Book Quest. And for this new beginning, we have chosen to talk about Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Yes, the wonderful and suspenseful uh, Rebecca that was first published in 1938. It's a tale full of love and jealousy and secrets. You have a mysterious uh, estate. Yeah, everything that we loved in the book, isn't it? Yes, definitely. With lots of gothic feels in it. Yeah. So it's told by an unnamed young woman. Yes. She's the only narrator in in the novel and she's the only person uh, from whose point of view we follow the story. And so this young woman (coughs) falls in love with a wealthy and charismatic widower known as Maxim de Winter why she's working as a companion to a wealthy American woman in Monte Carlo. And they fall in love, they marry very quickly, and she becomes the second Mrs. De Winter. Yes. So after they marry, they go back to Mendeley. So it's Maxim's estate in England. And the new Mrs. De Winter, she's quite overwhelmed uh, by everything that is Mendeley. Mm. It's very grand estate uh, there's a there are a lot of expectations put on her put on the lady of the house and she's constantly being overshadowed by the first uh, mrs de winter because her ghost is everywhere in the house well not a literal ghost but no 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 nonetheless there's this presence her presence felt yeah. everywhere because uh rebecca was beautiful she was charismatic uh, she was loved by everyone and the narrator she kind of feel inferior and she does, yes. And it's not helped by, this feeling is not helped by the housekeeper, Mrs. Denver, who loved Rebecca mm. and who hates the new Mrs. De Winter. And she makes her feel very small and inadequate. She does. And so as a result, the second Mrs. De Winter struggles to fit into her new life and uh, into her new home. And even more so as Mrs. Danvers tries to sabotage her self-esteem and her marriage to yeah. Maxim. Yeah, and as the story unfolds, some secrets and mysteries about Rebecca are revealed. Mm-hmm. What happened, how she died. So a very suspenseful novel. Very, yeah. very nice. Yeah. So how did you read it? So it's funny, actually, because I read it thanks to you, even though you hadn't read it. I actually find it when I was at the airport one time. I think I was coming back from England and it was displayed on a, in a bookshop mm-hmm. at the airport. And the blurb sounded nice. So I thought, okay, I'll just buy it. And I started reading it. But because the beginning is a little bit slow, I couldn't get into it. So I kind of gave up on it. And then you had a look in my bookshelves one day. And you were like, oh, you have Rebecca. And because you knew the movie. Mm-hmm. And so you made me want to read it, to pick it up again. So I read it. And then I lend it to you so yeah. you could read it. Yeah. So yes, I I actually first read it like maybe 10 months ago. I knew the story quite well because mm-hmm. I had watched Hitchcock's movie a number of times. Yeah. And I think I first read it maybe it was 2 years ago. I think so. Anyway, yeah. It's not that long <laughs> yeah. ago. And uh I reread the first third of the novel mm-hmm. to get ready for this yeah. uh, podcast episode. And my goodness, yeah. what a wonderful novel it is i reread it during christmas break Mm -hmm. and again the beginning felt slow but once they are in mendeley 
it's just I couldn't put the book down. Yes. It's just so it's so well written and the story is just gripping. It is. Was I I was particularly stunned by the fact that there are so many little details yeah. and little clues that are left here and there and that you notice when you reread the book. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a great book to have in your bookshelves because yeah. I don't think you can have enough of it. Yeah. You can reread it and then even if you know how it all ends, even if you know how everything happened, I mean, there are so many surprises to be found everywhere in the novel. And I was particularly also awed by all the details that make all the scenes very vivid. Yeah. Because you have beautiful descriptions of the landscapes at Mandalay or the seashore moments when the narrator uh, describes the sensations mm -hmm. that she gets from her surroundings yeah. the smells the the sounds you can really picture the whole scene and it's a wonderful experience yeah. as a re as a reader and also i was yeah i y you said that it starts quite slowly but then at the same time What I really love about this novel is that, is that you have a rhythm that is carefully constructed mm -hmm. because you sometimes have action and so you move on, you get more details and as you get more details, the mystery seems even deeper yeah. and you want to know more. But then sometimes also the action slows down, is replaced by some memories, some descriptions and then it picks up uh, again. And yes, I think... I know that it's quite slow compared to books that can be written nowadays. But it's also, I think, really well constructed and the rhythm is quite good, I think. Yeah, definitely. My only problem is that like when they are in Monte Carlo, where I find that bit, for me, a bit oh, boring. Yes, but right. once they are back home, I never yeah. like... And it's true that they, it alternates. But because... And you need those slower... Passages. Um, passages after all the action happens. So, yeah, absolutely. You know. So there are a few characters in this novel. There are. <laughs> so I think... Quite uh, interesting ones. Though. Yes. So I think we can start with the main character. Mm. It's going to be interesting talking about her without her name. But And it's... Well, let's talk about that. It's interesting that she didn't give a name to this character. I think it's one of the things that make the characterization very compelling. Mm -hmm. Because who talks about oneself by giving their name? That's no true. No one. That's true. And it's a first person narrator. Yeah. So I think that's one of the very interesting and convincing elements about her is that she's not giving her name. That's true. We only know that she has an unusual name. Yeah. Because Maxim says it. Because Maxim says it and repeats it. And yeah. he likes that name. Yeah. And that's all we know. And I think that's one of the... Well, I, I think it, it's a, a thing of genius on the part of Du Maurier. Because mm. by not giving her a name, she doesn't make her narrator forgettable. That's not true. Not at all. Yeah. She stands out because she has no name. And yet she's the narrator mm -hmm. throughout the whole book, which is quite long. And she is also standing out because... Her name is unusual. Yeah. So I think that's one of the, the, the great thing about things about this novel is this unnamed narrator and, that, and yet she's not uninteresting and she's not forgettable. What did you like about her? What I liked about this character is that I think that there are so many important human 
things developed mm. through her. First of all, I think we can say that she suffers from a kind of imposter syndrome. Yeah, definitely. Because she's brought into this social class that she was not born into no. by working for this uh, wealthy American woman, Mrs. Van Hopper. She has to evolve in this social class of people of leisure who spend many weeks in the south of France and then by marrying Mr. De Winter. Yeah. And so quickly. And so quickly, she is swept into that uh, social class of uh, wealthy people, even the aristocracy, and she was not brought up in that kind of social class. And she comes from a poorer background. She has to work for a living, and she does not have what she calls the grace and the manners of these people. And so sometimes she feels that she's not, not up to the task of being the mistress of Mandalay. She doesn't think that she's a great lady and it's all this that she suffers from, that she, she's so unsure of and there is a definite lack of self-confidence and self-esteem in her. And I think that's one thing that so many readers can mm. uh, identify with because it's so difficult to feel perfectly at ease wherever you live, wherever you work, whoever you meet in your life. Yeah, and she's much younger than him. Like she's very young and he's about 20 years older than her. I think he's, he says he's 42 and we never really know her age. But there are hints at her saying that it's not easy being, tw being 21. Yeah. So she might be around 21 yeah. years old. So yeah, he's yeah 20 years older yeah. than her. And so that's a huge difference as well. And I think that one of her problems is that she feels so much inexperienced compared to yep. the other people she lives with. Be it Mrs. Danvers, be it uh, Maxim de Winter, even the servants at Mandalay. She feels that she does not know their state as well as they, as they do. And so, yes, she, she really struggles finding a place. And then throughout the novel, she evolves into yeah. this more confident woman. But yes, that's one of the things that I really find interesting in this character is that she is so human. Yeah. And she is that kind of character that helps you maybe grow as well mm. when you're a young person and you still need to to find some more self-confidence. Mm. Definitely. I think. That's one of the things that I really love. What about you? Uh, I love all of the things that you said. I really like that she finds her own confidence herself like her husband doesn't help her in this regard at all he doesn't at all because there are some points in the novel where he calls her a child yeah and she always feels and he she keeps feeling like he treats her like a pet like patting her on the head and yeah in those passages she even likens her herself to the dog yeah so he's not he doesn't help her feel confident at all so i like that she does that for herself on her on her own and i also like her wild imagination mm. like the dialogues that she has in her head and the way she imagines situations in great details like oh if this happens then this is going to happen and this is going to happen like with the i love that like it's something i think that everyone does at one point and Absolutely. i really like that this is also what makes her very human yeah. because we all do this we we try to imagine yeah. our future so as to make it a little bit less unknown and yeah. strange and uh, scary 
and she does it a lot which also creates the narrative yeah. for us and and so on so this is a great device yeah. but then again what's funny is that she she's often mistaken oh yeah yeah because she imagines a lot of things and we know it can't happen because for example we know from the very beginning that Mandalay is going to be destroyed so they're not going to raise children there for example uh also at some points she herself says that she was mistaken it did not happen that mm. way but yes that's one of the other elements that are really yeah. really great about her then we have maxim an interesting character as well he is very complex mm. and well i think we won't be able to avoid some spoilers in this discussion because he's very morally gray he is the first thing you could think is he because everyone keeps saying that he loved Rebecca so much. Everybody thinks that he loved Rebecca so much. But he remarried very quickly. He did. Like, That's right. I think it's Good less point. than a year after yeah, she dies. Approximately, yes. And no one questions that <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, the way he treats that we said, the way he treats the narrator is is you feel like you keep wondering throughout the whole novel, does he really love her? probably not the way he treats her that's right he doesn't really he's he doesn't really seem interested in her in what she has to offer to the couple in what she could be doing like she's so bored in Men like there's nothing to do in Mendeley because mm -hmm. she's not she doesn't take care of the of the estate but he just leaves her the whole day i don't know it's also because we see Maxim de Winter through the eyes of this narrator who lacks self-confidence. Yeah. And as Maxim de Winter does not say many things about what he thinks, she does not have many clues about what he, what what his feelings for her are. Yeah. So yes, that's that's one of the things that make him mysterious. Also, what makes him mysterious is that the the appearance of his name is delayed until the end of chapter two. Okay. For the two first chapters, he's just he. Oh, okay, I don't remember that. And so he he appears through the fascination that the people mm. uh, that the narrator meets have for the man because of Mandalay. But then his name comes up only at the very end of chapter mm. two. So that's what makes him mysterious. But even if he's morally grey, I think that the reader is made to quite, Rude I don't know, him? like him. Yeah, I think so too. Probably because the narrator herself is in love with him. Yeah. And also he has that sort of, I mean... Charisma? That charisma, absolutely. I mean, I think we can call him a, an alpha male. Yeah. Because he has that aura. People are all looking up to him, trying to be seen with him. He has that kind of haughtiness with the people mm. around that he finds boring, like with Mrs. Van Hopper. Yeah. He can... Also be very, very sarcastic. But then he's also very elegant. Mm. Sometimes maybe romantic when mm. he writes this little note to the narrator at the beginning to say, oh, I'm sorry, I was very rude. Oh, yeah. And he does not sign the note. So I think that it's this character who can be, I don't know, very, well, almost like a villain, but then mm. you're not going to help it. You're going to like him anyway. Yeah. Is he an early anti-hero? Who knows? Then we have his late wife, Rebecca, who is not present in the story, but at the same time is very much present in the story. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed, you're right about this. 
So like we said, she was well-loved. Everybody loved her, except Maxim's sister. That's right. Good that point. we know at the beginning. We will leave the spoiler bit for maybe later in this discussion. But she was especially loved by Mrs. Denvers, who absolutely hates the narrator because she took her place. Mm. And she is one of the reasons why the narrator doesn't feel adequate to replace, not replace her, but to be the head of the estate. But as the story goes on and we learn a, f- a few things about her, it feels like maybe she's not as perfect as everybody seemed to think. Mm. She's very, she has a lot of influence, even in death, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah. And she's the complete opposite of the narrator. Absolutely. There is that very beautiful imagery of contrasting Rebecca and the narrator with the language of flowers. Mm. You have Rebecca who is associated to cultivated flowers, flowers that are very sophisticated, Mm. that are beautiful in vases inside of great houses. And on the other hand, the narrator who is like a white flower, Mm. a white flower that is awkward indoors. And that's a very good opposition but at the same time the the opposition is also apt in conveying the the fact that there's something almost monstrous about Rebecca yeah in that mm. there is that language of almost the sublime and when talking about Rebecca she's associated to these and I quote blood red mm. rhododendrons towards the beginning a battalion of blood red rhododendrons so that's quite a scary imagery here and on the other hand you have the simple beauty of the white flowers Mm. that the narrator is associated with so maybe rebecca is something more than the narrator Mm. but at the same time the narrator is really the character that we are going to take sides with yeah definitely because we identify with her much more than with rebecca yeah and there is all that language of monstrosity of ghosts of haunting that are associated with Rebecca Mm. so that quite early we understand that she's a threat and we are not going to like her definitely and associated with Rebecca is the awful Mrs. Danvers Mm. who is so creepy so mean she's she's a bully definitely she's a bully in a very subtle way because she's never outerly disrespectful Never. to the narrator but you know you know that she is she that she's being mean with the way she talks she always stays very polite but at the same time you know that she's being yeah she's very awful. subtle she yeah. is but also very cruel yeah in how subtle she is because she's insinuating things yeah and she really damages the narrator's oh, newfound self-confidence yeah. As we said, she's the one that, that makes the narrator's life at Mandalay very difficult. Yeah, she tries to push her to suicide at one point. Yeah. And the scene in her in Rebecca's bedroom is so creepy. The way she reveres everything that Rebecca touched. The image of Rebecca that she has in her head, that she was this perfect angel who could do no wrong. Yeah, she plays tricks on her. She tries to humiliate her. She, she I think, I mean... Sometimes I had the impression that she was that kind of ghost of Rebecca. Mm. It's Mm. as if she was the one making sure that Rebecca's presence is still very much felt in the house. Definitely, And she's 
<laughs> described as this person with, uh, I think the the words are skull-like white face mm. or something. Yeah. That, so she's also this harbinger of death yeah. in the story. But then again, great character. Oh, yeah. Because without her, <laughs> the no story conflict. would be quite yeah. dull. Yeah. So as we said at the beginning of the discussion, this is this is very much a gothic it is. Um, novel. And in the way that I like, because we don't have... A damsel in distress hmm. who needs to be saved because Rebecca is even though uh, not Rebecca the narrator even though she is quite shy and not confident at all she doesn't need saving she does because Maxim needs... is the one who needs saving kind yeah, of that's right that's right because there are a lot of elements that feel gothic like Menderley for example this huge estate from the very uh, beginning and when you read the first chapter which is actually a nightmare that the narrator yeah. had at some point while living away from Mandalay mm. after Mandalay has been burnt down. So it's the narrator in her new life, so grown up and so on. And so she has this nightmare that takes her back to Mandalay yeah. and that triggers the narrative. And so you know from the beginning that this is going to be quite creepy because yeah. in the nightmare you have all sorts of jungle that has mm. been... That, that has taken over the estate. You have all this rhetoric of monstrosity, haunting, alien things. Mm. And I think it's a great start yeah, to the story. Yeah. And then you have even the, the character of Rebecca feels very much like a ghost, even though there's no there's no supernatural element in the Not story at all. At all. But it's, it's all still very psychological. Feels, yeah, but it still feels very eerie. Like eerie and creepy, and like you have the brooding hero, very mysterious. You have nature, as like you just said. So yeah, everything feels very like this is a good book to read. Like end of October, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And yes, there are no supernatural elements, but there are many elements that um, make her ghostly presence much felt, like the scent of Rebecca on the handkerchief. You have her dedication to yeah. Max in one of the books. Yeah. You have... Her, her office. with her. Na there's her name on everything. And her handwriting. Yeah. This very conspicuous handwriting with slanted letters and the way she had of writing her name with the big R at the beginning mm. and smaller, very smaller letters, really small letters after this. So her distinctive presence it can be felt yeah. everywhere and that's the way she haunts yeah all the all the characters what i'd also like in this story regarding uh, the gothic elements is that the malevolent characters are women and not men hmm. because usually uh, if we think about mrs denvers for example because she's the one who in a very concrete way, makes the narrator's life uh, miserable. And that's a woman when, when, usually in gothic novel, the big villain that uh, keeps the heroine captive and everything is a man. So I really like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, another thing that I really found interesting and that also creates this um, gothic atmosphere is that the narrator at some point associates the fact that she allows herself to, to fall in self-doubt by thinking of Rebecca. So mm. this she associates with being tempted by a demon. Mm. And she uses the very biblical, get thee behind me, Satan. Oh. <laughs> and, and I mean, 
this is also great to yeah. create this gothic atmosphere. Mm. Yeah, really, really. I, I mean, I, I love Dumori's writing and the way she uses words to create all this atmosphere. So we had some questions, hosted a Q&A over on Instagram. And so we had two questions. So the first question, which the lovely What's She Read next, sorry, asked us. And she asked for you guys, who is the villain in this story? Great question. Yes, excellent question. It's very hard to say. Yeah. And I, I don't think that I'm going to give a clear answer. Yeah. <laughs> I would start with Rebecca. Because her name is on the cover. She is the obvious nemesis of the narrator. Because she is this character who seems to make it impossible for the narrator to be happy. She is also... Well, she turns out to be... To have been a very manipulative person. Oh, yes. She was one mean girl. (laughs) (laughs) Pushing Max over the edge by attacking him on this very sensitive uh, aspect of his life and his personality, Mandalay. Because Mandalay is this estate that is associated with uh, the De Winter family and that has been so for generations. And so by... I'm not going to give too much away, I hope, but by threatening this very inheritance, she sort of destroys his life, but also his pride, mm. because it's more than just Maximus yeah, himself, himself. It's the whole family and the whole legacy. So, yes, terrible, terrible yeah. person. So my first answer would be Rebecca. What about you? I feel like there are a lot of villains yes, in this story. Definitely. definitely Rebecca, but Maxim is definitely not a hero. No. I mean, his wife was awful, but did it have to end like this? Mm. I don't know. Like He is very much a part of, let's say it. Yeah. He killed her. He did. So she pushed him over the, e- over the edge, but he still, he killed her. So... Did she have to die because she was an that awful mean? person? Mm. So I think he's a bit of a villain as well. Well, quite simply, legally, he's a murderer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. he gets away with it. He totally gets away with it. Uh, he manages to remarry. Yeah. But then at the same time, he's sort of punished because yeah. he does lose mentally. He does lose Mendeley, yeah, which is what she was threatening to do. So mm. interesting. Yeah, so in the end, way. she did win yeah. somehow. Rebecca. And then we have Mrs. Denvers, who is not... I feel like the only character who is not completely morally grey or even morally in the dark uh, is the narrator. Even though we could still argue that she knows what her husband did and... She doesn't blink. She's like, okay, we are going to cover it up and make sure that you don't go to prison for that. She's totally blinded by love. She does. She's very much in love with him. And I think that, I don't know, but I don't know what you think about it, but I would call her like maybe an unreliable narrator. Maybe. Because of this. Because I have to say that maybe it's also because of Hitchcock's movie. I don't know. But I find it hard to really consider Max as a bad guy. 
probably because we see the story through the narrator's yeah. eyes who is very much in love with him and so on and so forth but yeah. i don't know he feels to me he feels un- almost like rebecca's victim yeah he's she paints him as a very good guy who did a horrible action yeah but on the other hand knowing that she is very much in love with him i keep asking myself whether maybe she kept information maxim from the reader yeah maybe although there are no clues as to this but then we know she's in love we know that she imagines a lot of things and that a lot turns out to be untrue so is the narrator i mean she looks very naive and a good girl and everything but can we trust her point of view i don't know maybe maxim was not that nice a person hard to say Uh, as we said earlier he does not really help her find her place at Mandalay. he considers he treats her as sometimes a child sometimes a pet well you you understand when when they have when there is the big revelation uh, of what he did you understand that he's been refusing himself happiness because of what he did Mm. and that's probably that's ex- that's his explanation as to why he's been mm. the way he is with her but at this i don't know like the first i love you comes just after he or just before i don't remember he you know confessed to murder so is it very genuine or not there are little clues as to this when they are in monte carlo but yeah, he's much more he- relaxed when they're not in england yes but it's not really romantic when no. He gives her to understand that he cares for her. Yeah. Even the proposal is yeah. anything but romantic. Yeah. So, so yeah, I would very say Very complex that characters. Yes, definitely. Which them. is why they are so interesting mm. and which is why the story is so good. And which is why it's, I think, a book that will never tire of rereading. Because yeah. nothing is completely closed at the end. I would have loved to have an epilogue uh, that takes place like five years later to see if they survive as a couple, everything that happened. I, I don't know, but I think that's what we get. Not with an epilogue, but as the beginning. Yeah, but it's like a couple of months afterwards, right? Is it only months? I think it's only months. Oh, okay. I didn't get that. Because they're still in a hotel. But I wonder, is not their new life? Oh, okay. Wander around. Okay, maybe. But yeah. But at the same time, it's nice that we have, like, we can imagine and figure out. That's what ourselves. I love about novels that have an open end. Yeah. Is that? So we had a second question by uh, the lovely Lulu at over at Lulu Reads. And she asked us, uh, did you see the Hitchcock movie? Which we did. And if yes, uh, what did you think of the changes made made to Max to Max's confession? So, uh, as a reminder, in the movie, Maxim explains that Rebecca's death was an accident, that she tripped and fell over some boat bits or something, and she I- either broke her neck or got hurt by that. So he didn't have a heavy hand in her death. And we did some research to explain or to, uh, to find an explanation as to why this change. Mm. So why, why is it? It's because of uh, what was called the Hayes Code at Hollywood. And it was a set of rules according to which uh, nothing morally bad could be featured in movies. Like, for example, it wouldn't have been possible to have 
Maxim be acknowledged as a murderer and him getting away with murder. So there has to be some kind of justice. And so killers need to be punished for their murder, which is not what happens in the novel. So it was impossible to keep it as is. So there was this, but in the Hays Code, you have all sorts of rules like a kiss cannot be too long on screen, that sort of things. But the most important thing, the most important impact on Rebecca is that it's not possible to have a murder uh, not being uh, punished. What did you think of that change? Because you watched the movie first. I did. What I thought is that, I mean, Laurence Olivier is so handsome <laughs> that I would have hated <laughs> for him to be hanged or whatever. Yeah. And I would have hated for the lovely narrator not to have her happy ending. Yeah. So I'm quite satisfied with okay. that ending. I love in the novel this grey mm. character of uh, Maxim. And he's more complex and I think more interesting mm-hmm. in the novel. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I love in Du Maurier's novels. Also in My Cousin Rachel, for example, you have that kind of male character who seems like a hero or at least a very good person. And then you understand, like, oh no. That's not quite true. But I think I love both endings. The ending for this particular Laurence Olivier mm-hmm. character and the other ending, well, the first ending for Du Maurier's Maxim de Winter. What about you? I was very disappointed. I think oh. because I read the book first. Mm. I think every time you watch an adaptation of a book and you have read the book... Mm. Because it's such an important part in the story. It's like the big twist. And so, yeah, I was a bit disappointed. I think that's the main... Well, the main thing is that the fact that it's treated as an accident is in the movie gets... I mean, creates closure. Yeah. Well, it's not at all the case yeah. uh, in the novel. And it, I don't know the fact that it's an accident... And so he, of course, covered it up and everything. But it feels like, why why the cover-up? Because it was an accident. So it feels the whole bit that happens after the, Rebecca's body is found, where they have to do all of those things to try and cover up the fact that... Well, felt a it, bit... It can be explained by the fact that Rebecca had told him that as they are really loved as a couple and she herself is particularly revered as the yeah. mistress of Mandalay, no one would have believed Maxim over Rebecca. Yeah. And so I suppose that it would have been fishy for the people around to find out know, about it. I the stakes were a little bit lower because of it. But I think, it's, I think if I had watched a movie without reading the book, I mm. would have no problem with this ending. I understand, Because yeah. I had the story and... I watched this movie like just after finishing reading the book. So it was so fresh in my mind. Mm -hmm. Mm. That's why I was disappointed. Yeah. I think we've run out of time. So we're going to have to end this discussion about this amazing book. I think we can end with saying that if you haven't read it already, please do. It's yes. such an amazing Even movie. if you have already watched uh, Hitchcock yeah. movie, Hitchcock's movie or the more rec- recent one. Yeah. By, I don't know who's... The one on Netflix. Yeah, with Lily... Yeah. Collins, I think. Maybe. The, the, the book is so much better. 
Yeah, this so one, much better. Than I'm this sorry film to say, but I really didn't like that movie. No. I found it boring. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. even if you have watched one of the movies or both, just go read the yeah. novel and reread it as much as you need yeah. or want, because you will never be disappointed. There are always surprises to be got from it. And feel free to explore more of Daphne du Maurier's works. I mean, I have only read My Cousin Rachel as well as Rebecca so far, but I really intend to read yeah, more because... We're on a quest to read everything. Yeah, especially as there are gorgeous editions. Yes. So <laughs> this one. Yes, I think that's the next book I would advise to read. Yeah. Any other suggestions? I would say maybe Wuthering Heights if mm -hmm. you want like this kind of gothic... Um... Yeah, and, and more so clearly, with more clearly supernatural elements. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well, thank you for this lovely discussion. I loved it. I think I'm yeah. really going to love everything with uh, 20th Century yeah, Book Quest. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Thank you guys for listening. Bye. Bye. Hey, not so fast. Do you know what would help a lot? It's if you would leave a five-star rating or even a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That would enable us to help other readers find their own favourites. That's it for today. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>